Our favorite albums is supported by Complete Data Systems, retail software for independent retail stores. Get a free demo at retailprodemo.com. That is retailprodemo.com. Our favorite albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artist, not us. We just have to tell... (laughs) Motherfucker. We are just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own, and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is Our Favorite Albums. This is our favorite albums, our very first episode. I'm Michael, and that's Jason. Hello. So, uh, here we are. Here we are, finally. Can you believe we're doing this? This, is, this has been a work in progress for <laughs> quite some time. It has. How, how did we get here? How, how did we do this? Um, you know, I think this started on my back porch. It did. After many bottles of wine. And a lot of conversation. A lot of air guitar. <laughs> uh, frequent frequent replays of of songs that we were both really into a you know, lot of late nights so but we should probably give a shout out to our wives for putting up with all of the music that we played over and over and over and over again <laughs> i was trying to think the other day what was the song what was the song we were listening to that like really made us do it and I, I think it was hold steady and i think it was the sequestered in memphis you know what i think you're right i think you're <laughs> I think right because we were both like back air guitar just it. yeah just <laughs> and you know what the song's about yeah exactly oh yeah don't yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you listen to the rest of the album? I think we played the song over and over and over again just because I know we played it at least twice. It yeah. seemed like a good idea to keep air guitaring yeah. to it. So. <laughs> well, you know, and, and thinking back on it, it could have been that it was just on repeat. And when it came back around, we started talking about it again. So what you're saying is basically if we'd been listening to vinyl at the time, this never would have happened because we would have had to leave the back porch and go change well, the record. Either that or flip the album. <laughs> or flip the album. Flip it right. and have it come back around, right? Yeah, to do the little thing where you're just trying to get it right on the little, <laughs> just just to play the song again. So uh, w- when we put this together, the idea was that here we were talking about this, and surely there'd be someone out there that would want to listen to us prognosticate Something and, and talk lines, about yeah. Yeah these albums because you and I were telling each other like oh did you know this and did you know this right absolutely yeah and I I think we were both interested in what the other one had to say and so obviously someone out somebody else must be too right yeah yeah someone's got to be interested in what we're having to say surely somebody cares (laughs) surely somebody out there is interested (laughs) well so so tell me uh, and you and I have been talking about we had this survey uh, that uh, the guys on the ticket we're doing about music their music taste and it's uh who's your favorite band who's the band that you hate uh, but one of the questions that they had and, and at some point i want us to go back and talk about this and talk about that survey because i think those questions are really cool uh but but you tell me what's the band that made you fall in love with music boy that's that's tough um there's a couple of them and they're on this top 10 list actually but um, I, the first band that I can really remember liking a lot and like being like I I am into this was the the first song that I have on the list actually really well, which good. is a, which is a fun segue but it's, 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 it's but it's it's the truth though um, the first time I can remember listening to a song and just being fascinated by the musicianship it's the first time I can remember wanting to play guitar mm-hmm. because I just thought it sounded so 
the, the tone and everything about it was just absolutely fantastic. And it was, uh, got the, this is a very old fashioned sentence. My cousin and I raided my uncle's cassette collection. <laughs> Kids, hey, a cassette now, if, you, was if you said a track, I really would have been blown away, <laughs> yeah. but it was a cassette at least. Right. I, actually funny. I do. Uh, one of the album, one of the, uh, songs on here, I had one of their albums on eight track. I, I, that's a, that's another story, but yes, it was a cassette. I'm gonna have to look to see if I, I don't think any of these. I don't think I had any of these on a track. I, I have I have one of them. Everything else was either cassette or CD. Okay, but yeah. So this was uh, I was I was I was a kid, and uh, I just remember hearing it and being fascinated by it. And you know, I, I grew up around music. My father is, is listens to everything from. He's a big jazz head, but you know, my first introduction to rock and roll was his Led Zeppelin and Steppenwolf vinyl. Wow. Um, and then, of course, he liked to blast classical on Sunday morning. So you could go from you know Zepp on Saturday night to you know Bach on Sunday morning. It was a very eclectic kind of situation. <laughs> but I always grew up around music, so I always liked music. Sure. But when I started to really get into it myself, it was rock, and it was uh, it was Led Zeppelin. So that's uh, first, first one so, on here. Yeah. So so we're doing our our top ten songs. Uh, we'll split this up into two different episodes. Right. This first one, we're going to do our number ten songs down to number six, which should be five apiece. Uh, that way we can split up 20 total songs. But uh, before we get into it, I do want to point out that one of our top 10 songs each was the same. Yes, I was going to. When we get to that, we'll have yeah, to discuss when we that get to one. That, yeah. yeah. And so uh, because I had it higher on my list, I let you pick a bonus song that was on there. Correct. Uh, so uh, so that well, now it, we have 21 it, songs, if you think about it. it that, that's true. It's, it's funny because we both picked the exact same song yeah. as one of our songs, and we've both picked the same band as one of our bands with songs. That's true. Now, and, and everything else is separate. We all listen to the same stuff, but I thought that was interesting yeah. as well. Yeah. So, okay. So, so let's get into this. Your number, your number 10 song uh, is from the album In Through the Outdoor. Correct. In Through the Outdoor, Led Zeppelin. 1979. 1979. 79. Okay. Okay. And so, so what is it about this song that you like? So, by the way, this is Fool in the Rain. Fool in the Rain is the name of the song. That's yeah. correct. There's a lot of components to this song, and this there's a couple songs on this list that have the distinction of being one of my favorite songs, and they're also on an album that I don't really care for. Okay, <laughs> the rest of this album is like very difficult for me to get through. It's, I mean, it's it's so funny that you say that. I had this album on tape, okay, right, uh, and through my research, what I found was this was an album that was pretty much John Paul Jones uh, and and Robert Plant. Yeah, I think uh, John Bonham, I may, I may get this incorrect, but I think Bonham was drunk all the time, and, and I think uh, Jimmy Page was doing his own thing. Heroin, <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I think, I think heroin was his own thing, yeah. <laughs> Listen, it was the 70s. Yeah, I'm not gonna get it. They're rock stars, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's correct. So they basically, uh, John Paul Jones, uh, who also played numerous instruments for the band, and keyboard was one of them, as I understand it, had gotten a new organ and was very infatuated with playing it and the sound of it. So a lot of that album is these long, extended organ jams, yeah. which I find almost unlistenable. What, what's your least favorite song of that album? Hot Dog. Hot Dog is mine, too. I hate the Hot Dog so much. Hot Dog or Carousel or Ramba. It, oh, and it, okay, that would have been my. That would have been the, the other yeah, one as well. Yeah, and they're terrible. so cheesy, but uh, Hot Dog was... I don't even know what you call that. What, what the hell is that doing on <laughs> some 1970s <laughs> British know. rock band's album, like, right? Chicken picking guitar. Uh, and, uh, it sounds like an outtake that Leonard Skinner <laughs> decided not to record because it was too hillbilly for them. You know, But, but you know what's funny? That, that, that you mentioned uh, on Carousel Ramba, though, uh, that you mentioned that John Paul Jones is playing the organ because there's definitely an organ sound to it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a keyboard, really, but I mean, yeah. he's just jamming out on this thing the whole time, and it's just like this 
nonstop repetitive. It, it's, it's it wears me out. But but this song though, this song is fantastic. Yeah. It's definitely my favorite Zeppelin song of all time and one of my top ten. So I love the the groove on this. It's right. fantastic. Um, just so neat how they do that. Yeah. Um, the guitar tone is fantastic. He's got this really deep and heavy guitar sound. Um, the guitar solo is fantastic. I love the phrasing. Yeah, just the way he kind of plays against everything is really cool. And, and the other thing about the song, which is not musical, and you know, you know me, I don't, I'm not really as lyric into the lyrics as you are. I'm more into the musical piece sure. of things as a rule. Sure. But this song is hilarious because I mean, if you think about it, the whole thing is a, it, it, it's a comedy. He's singing about how his heart's broken and everything, and he's just an idiot on the wrong corner. And when it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's kind of amusing. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, you know, so yeah. this part never fits me though. Okay. Trying a little the, hard, maybe? The, the whistle and all? The whistle. The, the drums are great. Yeah. The whistle is a beating. Yeah. But whistles like wh- whistles are like bells. They sure. don't really belong, or, or saxophone solos for that matter. Well, at some point, we're going to get into uh, my affinity for Brian Wilson and his recording and all the stuff that he was doing with Pet Sounds and all that. But uh, he's to blame for all this shit. I, 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 all I, I, these whistles I and all the happen. bells and crap, that's oh, yeah. all Brian Wilson. I, absolutely. All yeah. this background noise that... These guys are in the studio with unlimited budgets and time on their hands. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what would be great here? How about a whistle? Let's, yeah, let's, let's throw a whistle in. Put a dog whistle into it. Yeah, a dog whistle sounds no good. No one could hear it, but we'll just put it on there, right? <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to yield to you because one of the things you pointed out when we were talking before uh, is the guitar solo. Mm-hmm. And, that and guitar here, here it comes. Cool. So I'm, I'm going to just kind of... I'm, 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 I'm giving, let's I'm giving you the floor on this thing, though. Yeah, let's listen to it for a yeah. second. But what's, what's the uh, like Caribbean... What... It's almost like a steel drum in the background. Yeah, is that yeah. what that is? Yeah, you're right. It's, it sounds like we should be drinking Red Stripe on a beach when <laughs> you hear that. Harry Belafonte. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. All right, here's your solo. And so here we come in. Great little drum part. Yeah. That's cool. So that's the tone you're talking about. I love huh? that tone. give you some volume on it. Love that tone. It's just so thick. It's meaty. Uh, it's a, a way to, it's just it's a, this big, thick, meaty sound. And I love his phrasing. Like, he stays real slow. Yeah, Jimmy Page is kind of a sloppy lead guitar player. He's amazing. But when he starts going, he really gets going. If any of my guitar friends listen to this, they're going to call me out for calling Jimmy Page sloppy. And I meant that as a compliment. <laughs> they were just playing the blues. The blues yeah, are sloppy. It's, it's, jam- it's just jamming out on it, right? <laughs> You know what? Get your podcast going, and then you can talk about how, how great he is. You can talk shit about me talking shit. That'll be. Then we'll all be even here. Your podcast about how technically perfect Jimmy Page is, right? <laughs> or how imperfect my critique is. It just it, the phrasing's great. The way he starts, the way he gets builds up in the middle, and the way he kind of backs it back down at the end. And I just I always thought that was such a such a cool no, cool, cool riff. And it's funny that you say that. When I was a kid, I used to listen to that and think the same thing. I used to think just like. Just how thick that sound was, and it was almost like it was muted. Like he had the the bass yeah, the turned t- up all the way. The tone is strange. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what kind of guitar I, it was. Well, he he, was he playing, played a Gibson, right? He was pretty much a Les Paul guy. Yeah. Um, for most of Led Zeppelin, he was a Les Paul yeah. guy, and uh, I'm assuming that's a Les Paul. But I mean, it's big and thick and heavy, like you would expect. But yeah, the tone is all—it's very different. Yeah. And there's nothing else on the album that sounds like that too. Not so. a. I don't know that there's anything else in the catalog that sounds. I don't like think that. there is. At I all. mean, you have Jamaica that was definitely they Caribbean. had the Caribbean thing going yeah. on again with that. But his but that's a harps, that's a harpsichord that I hear in yeah. the background right there, right? Once again, 
Once again, they had a lot of time on their hands in the studio. <laughs> John Paul Jones. And an unlimited budget. And John Paul Jones played everything. I mean, yeah. just everything under the sun. So sure. he could do anything he wanted to at that Well, point. I noticed you didn't pick anything from Coda, which was the last <laughs> album that Led <laughs> no, Zeppelin no, did, right? Not a huge fan of that album, actually. All right, we're coming. Well, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's my number 10. Wow, that's a good one. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid, like, looking at that, that album cover... Uh, and just thinking, yeah, just, it's cool. Like in that sepia tone, and one, right. I, and I have the vinyl, and the vinyl comes in the. It's like the reissue. It's in like a brown paper bag. Really? Yeah. So like, there's this brown paper bag, and you pull it out, and then you've got the actual album. That's pretty cool. And to this day, last thing on that, I could not walk into a store and see somebody go through the wrong door and not think in through the outdoor <laughs> in my head. It's just hot dog, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a terrible, terrible thing to have in your mind. Know, right? Hot dog. Hot dog. Yeah, uh-huh. it's not fooling the rain. But, uh... <laughs> Hot dog will forever live in infamy. Okay, so, well, so, that's me. Let's, let's turn this over to you now. Yeah, but last note on that, though. Sure. I, I remember the very first time when I got that tape, I remember telling my mom, uh, because when I got that tape, I think it was in fifth or sixth grade, and I'd really gotten into... That's probably when I discovered it as well. Yeah. Well, I got into rock and roll big time, uh, and what I knew with rock and roll was Led Zeppelin because I listened to Q102 in Dallas right. and they were the classic rock station. Um, I would listen constantly for Stairway. Just because <laughs> I just wanted to hear because right. it was just so perfect, right? I wanted to hear the song. And so when um, when mom when my mom starts going for Christmas gifts when I was in fifth or sixth, I can't remember which year it is. You I asked for Led Zeppelin, right? I want a Led Zeppelin tape. And so she goes, I think you probably got the cheapest one that she can get. Right. Which was this room? <laughs> yeah. Which was Into the Outdoor. Yeah. Um, but I remember the very first time that I put it on and that uh, when in the evening comes through, there's yeah. backward masking, and it's yeah. like a, it's almost like a helicopter is descending. Yeah, uh, and then when they kick in that in the evening, you know, and, and yeah, oh, God, I was just, I was just in love. That is a good track. Yeah. Uh, one more thing on Led Zeppelin, since uh, as much as I like this band, they do have to answer for all of the hair metal in the '80s. White Snake <laughs> is directly the fault of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> They have to answer for that at some point. Well, it's funny that you say that because <laughs> David Coverdale and Jimmy Page had that album. Remember oh, that no. album? Oh, yes, I uh, do. In the early 90s. Yeah, 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 that's right. Coverdale Page. Yeah, and it was uh, Shake Your Tree. Or it was, was not very It was song? not very good. Uh, I mean, but it was... But it was Coverdale. I mean, nobody had heard anything from Page, and all the Zeppelin fans were happy to have him back on tape. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so uh, so that's your number 10 song. That's my number Fool 10. in the Rain, Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, Into the Outdoor. So... Uh, my number ten song. I thought this this this, this one was out yeah. there, right? Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you the, the background of this. So uh, Van Morrison, it, most people know him from uh, the pop Gloria. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gloria was one of the first ones that that hit big. Uh, but Brown Eyed Girl, Brown Eyed Girl, huge. Yeah, all major Moon major. Dance. I can listen to Moon Dance backwards and forwards. Um, my my aunt Marcy loves Tupelo Honey. Her favorite song, and I love that song too. And I can listen to that over and over and over. But this is not Moon Dance. This is not Into the Mystic. No. This is a song called TB Sheets. Okay, I have to confess before you go any further, I had never heard this song really ever until you put it on the like. I, this it's, is it's one a, of those that I would cut. have skipped over kind yeah. of thing. I, so, so, so thanks for opening my eyes. Yeah. So this is a um, th- this was a Van Morrison in 1967 uh, from the album Blow in Your Mind. And it was when he was first coming over from the UK, uh, and he had this skiffle group. So here's the background on the song TB Sheets. This is the saddest song you've ever heard. It is so sad because it's written 
from the uh, it's it's the dialogue that you only hear from one side of a young man who is trying to be the coolest guy in the world. Now keep in mind it's it's a '60s zeitgeist, and so right. there there are hip and cool and he's trying to be a blues man and his, you know miles davis is cool when was this recorded you know, this is 1967 67, yeah okay. and so um it's like uh i think it was probably it was probably pre-psychedelia you know obviously this was before sergeant pepper mm-hmm. um but it was all like right on the hinges of um of charles mingus and miles davis and you know all the, all these cool jazz cats where everything is just real cool and so you have to keep in mind that this is a kid who wants to be that cool and his girlfriend is sequestered which is ironic that right. here we are in our shelter in place in the middle of 2020 <laughs> right. with covid uh, but his girlfriend is dying from tuberculosis and so this is a kid who has stopped by to see his girlfriend who is sequestered in her room because she is about to die and he's trying to act cool and he is going to see this girl. So the TB is tuberculosis, tuberculosis sheets. Yeah. Okay. And so he even says, and he says, first off, uh, it, by the way, two chords throughout this entire song. I believe it's A and G back and forth. That's it. That's the entire song is A and G. So it's a, a typical skiffle blues right, right. type song, right? Uh, not much to it. But he tells her straight out, her name is Julie. Julie, it ain't natural for you to cry in the midnight like this. And so he's telling her, because he is so immature that he can't deal with the fact that she's dying. He doesn't want to be there. But he stopped by to see his girlfriend who's dying. And she just wants him to be there and be cool. You know, just just sit here and be with me. But for him, all he's thinking about is himself. Gotcha, gotcha. And so there's a part of this that like really makes me, like it it, it enrages me almost to hear. Because I think about the young girl that she just, you know, she's going to die. She is on her deathbed, and he's like, I can smell your TB sheets. It smells like death in here. Open the window. Go open the window. Go get me a drink of water or something. And then he says at one point in the song, I'm going to have mumbles come around later on with some wine. So that, that's how he's going to help her out. Gotcha. He's going to bring her some wine. He's gonna, oh, he's actually going to send somebody with some he's wine. He's going to send mumbles around later on, baby. <laughs> he's, he's not coming back with yeah. the wine himself. <laughs> he's had his visit for the day. That's right. So this is TV Sheets from Van Morrison. Got it. Uh, th- this is probably my deepest cut of my entire list, right? It's a deep one. Th- this is TV Sheets by Van Morrison. Listen to that. Probably a four-track recording, right? That... That that Hammond organ that, Hammond. that sounds like the late sixties. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean it does. Yeah. Now here's the other thing. He's going to play a harmonica that is going to sound like a young girl crying. And so think okay. about think about put yourself in the mindset of someone who's dying, right? And all she can do is just kind of cry out to him from the street, like she's in the apartment way up, twenty stories up. Listen to that. Gotcha. So this is how he greets her. He comes up to see her. Two chords, right? Now listen. Julie, baby, it ain't natural for you to cry in the midnight. You that? He's like, it ain't cool. It ain't cool for you to be crying all the time. He's trying to put this, like, affectation on. It ain't natural for you to cry When the midnight show. He can almost, like, picture a young kid. 
yeah, with, yeah. His, with his cool blues glasses on, you know? No, his suit, obviously. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. His Chelsea boots. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I have to comment on that. Okay. That, that bass groove there is. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And he, I mean, he's walking, too. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, like, it reminds me of, like, stacks, like, Otis Redding. It totally is what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so... Uh, and one of the things you and I will get into as we start getting to our normal episodes uh, is the influence that uh, the British rock had from America. You right. Know, the, Absolutely. the Southern Blues. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that line right there kills me where he goes, there's nothing on my mind more further than what you're looking for. We just, she, she just wants to have some sort of affection. He's like, That's not, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not even thinking about that. Yeah, not even in the mood. Thanks. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with you, honey. But that, Clean yourself up. I'll come back What's later. We'll talk. I mean, did you, did you think about like some some young kid that's like trying to be above it all, Absolutely. but he's really affected by the fact that. Listen to this. Foreign bodies. All those foreign bodies floating around. In the sunlight shine through the crack in the window pane. The numbs of my brain. Man, I can sit back. With my headphones on, to turn the song on, and just sit there and groove over and over yeah. and over. Oh, I could totally see that. Yeah, and it, it falls you into like a vamp, right? Kills me. That song absolutely kills me. And I, uh, listen to him making fun of him, in front of her here. Listen. And let me breathe. He goes. <laughs> That's that's harsh. I said, open up the window. <laughs> Let me breathe. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. I didn't catch that before. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, this is the saddest no song. Water. Yeah, and right there, he's like, I'm looking down the street. I wish I was down there. I cried for you. Yeah, I, can't, I can't believe I'm up here with you. I got to be stuck up here in this room with this girl who's down at tuberculosis. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> wow, that's uh... it's 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 the saddest song, and if you hear it, you just go, "That's a cool grooving song, right?" Ding 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 ding. Absolutely. Ding, ding. But when you when you read the lyrics and you go back and you look at when it was released, uh, just um, he's making fun of the culture that he's around. Oh, he totally is. Yeah, yeah, and he's making fun of all the other kids that he's around. I, I, I love the song. It, 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 it's it, almost like like. Th- those lyrics are a level above what you would expect from the music that he's singing over it, right? right. Yeah, the, the, the two things don't go together. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that kind of that kind of lyrical content is more like a, you know, like folksy stuff, right? Like this real deep that '60s folk stuff yep. that going on, and then instead you've got this like real modern at the time sounding kind of blues jam. But he's got the lyrics over the top of it. The two things just don't they, they shouldn't go together, but right. in my opinion, but they do. They work. Yeah, yeah. Good points. Interesting. I, interesting. Love that song. That that was one that when I uh, when I first started putting my songs together, I was like, well, TV Sheets has to be in my top ten. And when I start shuffling things around, I start looking at it and going, you know, it should be here, here, here. And then the only reason that it's number ten is because the songs above it that I, I love so much more. Uh, but that's that's one that I remember hearing it uh, when I was younger, and I didn't get it. And it wasn't until the digital age came along that. Right. I got into a Van Morrison thing at one time. I got into it and started listening to it. And Van Morrison was one of those. That he's one of those artists that was always on. Once again, you know, talking about my dad's album collection, he was a big Van Morrison. You know, Moon Dance, the 
was on way too much for my taste <laughs> at the time. But uh, that one I had not heard, and I'm not familiar. I haven't really listened to that album much either. So that, that's the good rest, stuff, man. The rest of the album isn't that great, but uh, TB Sheets, yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, that song was on a... Um, it was on a Scorsese movie soundtrack, I believe, uh, in the late 90s. I'll have to go back and, and, and look to see which one that is. Interesting. Um, but it was in a movie that was one of those, like, wasn't well known. Um, but b- that, before that, The Departed, though? That does sound like something he would put like around a mob hit or something, or some montage yeah. of people driving around town and doing random yeah. things in Scorsese yeah. style. I could totally see that. So so go back and listen to The Departed soundtrack, and then listen to this soundtrack, and you go, oh, okay. So this that is, makes sense. This gotcha. is so derivative of the early stuff he was doing, and he graduated into this. Gotcha. Okay. gotcha. So that was my number 10. So, so we've got Full in the Rain by Led Zeppelin, TB Sheets by Van Morrison. Here we go. All right. Number nine. So this is um, one of my. That would be number. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Put it on. Put it on shuffle. Oh, that. <laughs> technical difficulties, oh. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I was a little precursor there it is. or something. There, there we is. go. So this is "I Stay Away," Alice in Chains. This is off the Jar of Flies album from 1994. Wow, this is royalty, right? This is grunge royalty. This is grunge royalty. I mean, there's yeah. uh, there are going to be. I mean, obviously, you and I, same taste in music, same same generation, same time in high school. Uh, we've got a lot of the of that early '90s stuff that we listen to yeah. so much, um, and I think these guys are one of the best. But interestingly, you know, the, the first two albums were fantastic. They were very heavy. They were very dark, very driving. Um, a lot like a lot of the other stuff that was going, going on with some of the other bands at the time. This is such a departure. I mean, I remember getting this CD and popping it in, and of course I had heard the song on the radio, and it's kind of got some of their heaviness, but it's lighter too, and there's acoustic guitars going on. I mean, it's a very, it's kind of a strange thing for him. Um, His play in, in, uh, in minor walkdowns, and he does this in quite a few songs. Like he you does, think about he Man does. in the Dog, uh, yeah. uh, Man in the Box, um, on, on their previous album, he does the same thing. Da, 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 and just that minor step down, just yeah. it was jarring. It scared me. Yeah, it's it's weird stuff. It really is. Um, this album has so, so. First of all, I love this song, and I think it's just really interesting. Um, the, the the soft and the heavy back and forth, which is a very very cool. I mean, it's almost like this portion of the song is almost upbeat. Yeah, hey, yeah, I can sing along to this, you know. Yeah. And then when they drop into the chorus, that big bass thump comes in, and the guitar riffs, and it's this that weird harmony that the, the Lane and Jerry did together, which was which is two right there. Yeah, it's, right there, it's right dark there. and scary. And listen to that bass in the background thumping. So on the bass, this is interesting. Uh, this was Mike Inez's first album as bass player for Alice in Chains. So he had previously played with Ozzy Osbourne. Really? And some other people. Uh, if you remember, Ozzy in the early 90s had a kind of a comeback album. He had a couple of pretty popular tracks. And no on More it. Tears? Was that the name no of No More album? Tears. Yeah. And so Mike Inez is the bass player on No More Tears. Really? Yes. So it was Zach Wilde and Mike Inez? That's correct. I wonder who the drummer was on that. You know, I, I should know that, but I don't off the top of my head. But you could tell. Probably so, Carmen Apice or whatever. <laughs> somebody from that He period. was on everything. <laughs> everything else, right? <laughs> So this is the first album that they wrote with Inez's influence. Okay. And so y- you can definitely tell that he's adding something to the mix that's a little different than before. Um, it's and a little the, orchestral, right? It, it is orchestral. There's actually, uh, I mean, to your point, there's like v- string section in the back of this. Well, yeah, I'm giving you a little volume here because I think the strings are coming in in just a second. I think I'm, I'm right. right. Now, 
after this chorus, but yeah, they're, they're at the end. They yeah. kind of, and so that, that happened a lot in the, that period, right? Everybody was kind of experimenting with that kind of stuff, you know? Um, personally, I could live without the string section, but I think the rest of the songs <laughs> fantastic. I, if I remember correctly, a lot of this album was recorded and written without Lane Staley. He had a hero, massive heroin problem, obviously. Right. right. And I think he missed out on because there's, there's a couple tracks in the album that Jerry Cantrell sings the whole thing, if I remember correctly. But yeah, there's the there's your string section there right is, there. Yeah. But when his voice was on, when he was on, like man, that guy had just a, just a haunting voice. What a weird addition those strings. It is, isn't it? it? We've got the heavy bass, we got the acoustic guitar in the background, and Jerry's electric riffs, and then the strings. It, like, if somebody did that now, you'd be like, well, that is so overdone and cheesy. <laughs> but for, like, Alice in Chains in 94, it was almost rebellious, if you think about it. I, I think you're right. You know, and, and if I listen to that, the strings are, are relatively... I'll let that thing finish out. This, you know, it, when I started off, I said I wouldn't play all these songs so we don't get sued. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's really hard not to. When you start talking about your, your favorite songs, it's really right. hard well, not to listen in, to They're in the thing. background. Uh, yeah. Fun fact um, on that song, uh, it was nominated for a Grammy, and they never played it live with Lane Staley. Really? Not once. But it was nominated. I think they won. They won. I think they were nominated for three or four Grammys. I, I don't remember exactly, for, but that they did win. Why didn't they play it live? Well, they kind because of, of the strings. <laughs> it's too hard to get an orchestra. They, they kind of broke up. I mean, they released one more album after this. Um, which, if you get this on the vinyl, on the reissue, I have the second album comes with it. Mm. Um, it's got a few tracks on it, a couple that were on the radio, and uh, once again, more acoustic guitar and that kind of stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, they never played it live um, when they hired or had a new singer a couple years ago, if you'll remember, Ugh. and uh, they played it live with him, but never played it live with Lane. Interesting. So I, I had in my notes that the song "Don't Follow" was the B side on the single, which is correct. Uh, probably my probably my favorite Allison Chain song. Really love "Don't Follow." Yeah, uh, and it, it, is it the harmonica part that you like? Uh, yeah, when it cuts into the kind of bluesy section. <laughs> Although I, I think I kind of I kind of feel like the Mad Season album was because Lane Staley is there, uh, right? Because he's singing, and I, if I'm not mistaken. Kentrell wrote those songs, I think. Right? Um, so it was uh, Mike from Pearl Jam. McCready? Yeah, from Pearl Jam is the guitar player on okay. that. And I think he wrote, I mean, Lane may have written some of them too. I don't remember entirely. They had like two hits, like two off that one album that yeah. were both very popular around the same time. That was, that was the uh, get everybody off of substance abuse <laughs> recording supergroup. Give, give Lane Staley something right. to do so he doesn't get out. I think McCready had a drinking problem and so they all got together and did a sober album or something. Wow. I don't, that, that's another story. I don't have all the details. I don't yeah, remember so all that, but I, I remember something when, like that. Yeah, when, uh, when the Mad Season album came out, I remember being so confused because I thought it was an Alice in Chains album, but it wasn't. Right, well, because Lane's voice is so, it's obviously the lead singer of Alice in Chains, yeah. right? Like nobody yeah. else sounds like that. So you hear, it's like, what, did they release a new album and I missed that? How did that happen? But yeah. It doesn't sound like the rest of the band, though. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I know we're going to do a deeper dive into Alice in Chains. Uh, I, I can uh, almost guarantee some of their albums will show back up. <laughs> well, one of the things that I always thought was interesting, though, was when they did their MTV Unplugged mm -hmm. yeah. session, uh, was that Lane Staley kept sunglasses on the entire time. The entire time. Yeah, because yeah. he was just completely 
out of his mind. Yeah, scored, yeah right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's unbelievable. That, and, and I I remember going back and watching that and seeing that he had the lyric sheet in front of him. Right. And thinking, man, the guy can't even remember his own <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> I mean, we've done that when we played shows. You know, right. I had to have him there just to. You but know, we're not professionals. <laughs> I don't have any Grammy nominations. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that's what I needed. I needed a Grammy nomination. I think so a Grammy that. nomination would probably have just really ironed things out for you. <laughs> that would have done it. That would, right? that would have gone on really well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, well, that was my uh, number nine. That's a good one. I Stay Away, Alice in Chains, Jar of Flies. Jar of Flies. All right. So uh, my number nine is is got to be one that I know that you have probably – I don't know if you've spent as many hours as I have listening to this song. I probably uh, have. I'll bet it has been a lot. Yeah. Um, my number nine song is YYZ from Rush. And it's not the recorded from moving uh, pictures. It right. is from Exit Stage Left. The live version. The live version that was recorded in 1980, 1980 June 1980s, what I have, uh, in Glasgow, Scotland. Now, here's, here's the thing. I'm a drummer. Uh, and so, as a drummer... Neil, Neil Peart. Neil Peart yeah. is, is... I mean, he's God. Yeah. He absolutely is. Uh, absolutely. He, and if you talk to any of those cats, uh, Danny Carey... Uh, from Tool, who who really is probably my favorite music. You and I were talking earlier. Is, is my favorite musician because he took what Neil Peart was doing uh, and amplified it. Um, but it all came from Neil because in the seventies, when it was, uh, you know, John Bonham and Keith Moon that were like these really solid drummers. To have he- a heavy, heavy, like really uh, gut drop, like this heavy, like pounding pulses and rhythms. Whereas yeah. Neil, Neil was a little. I mean, he did that too, but he was he, he had some real. Some real class, some real finesse, some yeah, real technique. He he had he had technique like no one ever had. Right. Uh, so what what made Keith Moon and John Bonham so great is that they always knew where. I, I'll talk about this a lot. They always knew where one is. Sure. The best drummers know where one is. Uh, the guys that play with Willie Nelson, uh, they always say Willie has his own time signatures that he plays right. with. Uh, he could be doing um, uh, any any of his songs. He'd be doing uh. Uh, give me a Willie Nelson. What's wrong with me? I can't think of a Willie Nelson song. All of them. <laughs> it, it's the same. It's on the road all, again. It's take take it's on all the road again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a four four. One yeah. two three four is all you have to count, right? Uh, but Willie Nelson has never he, he put six beats somehow into a four a four four measure. So he's uh, the best worst musician. Yeah, and so all of his his backup guys are always going to say that you have to know where one is because right. you never know when Willie's going to be there. You just hit one, and eventually Willie will catch up with you at the very end, right? Right. Uh, Neil is different. Neil played all of the notes that everyone else skipped uh, or didn't know was there. Uh, There are two types of rhythm. There's the African rhythm uh, and there's the South American rhythm. Uh, One is the triplet. uh, The other is all 16th notes. And somehow Neil was able to play one on one hand and one on the other. And so he was playing what's called a polyrhythm. Right. Uh, And so if you... Which once again, you're... Your boy from Tool, that's where he where he got all it. It absolutely yeah. is. It absolutely is. And so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna drum here on the table, folks, and so you, if, if you'll follow along at home. Uh if you if you play a triplet <laughs> uh, okay, just just stick with me here. I got you. If, I got if you. you if you play a triplet with your right hand, which is three uh three notes per beat, which is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, right? And you play eighth notes with the right hand, which is one and two and three and you put those together and it sounds like this. Uh, which it to you folks at home, sounds like da 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 da. But my right hand is doing three notes. My left hand is doing two, which have. There's no way in the world those those should go together. It's not an easy thing to do. That's what Neil was doing. Right. YYZ is Morse code for uh, the airport yes. in Toronto, and uh, the the guitarist Alex Lifeson was a pilot 
And so the three of them were flying back and they could hear the Morse code coming in over the beacon that was going da 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 You know, you could right, hear that right. thing. But it was doing it in this very specific rhythm. And while they're doing that, Neil Purdy's back there going. And there you go. And that's YYZ. But the original recording of YYZ did not have a drum solo. This one does. This one has not just any drum solo. I can go back to Buddy Rich. I can go back yeah. to Charlie Antolini. I can go back to any recorded drum solo. And there's no better drum solo on the planet than the one from, from Exit Stage Left. I think you're probably right about that. There is. Um, what's amazing to me, this song is played by three guys. So, so Rush, as you know, is very special place in my heart for Rush. I mean, I, I literally have two pieces of art in my office that are Rush. You know, that's just <laughs> yeah. how much I like you Rush. you got four pieces of art and two of them are Rush. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> I'm a big fan. These guys are all just the greatest. Yeah. They're fantastic. And the amount of music that they can make is unbelievable. Yeah. So one of the notes that I had on this is this entire piece uh, is supposed to represent a plane taking off, a plane banking, this is the, bank, the plane's banking. Right. The plane climbing up to altitude. That's what we're doing is we're climbing up to cruising altitude and then getting into cruising altitude. And then it hits turbulence and then it smooths off, descends, and then they're landing at their home airport, which was in Toronto. And gotcha. so they knew when they heard the da 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 They were home. They, they knew that they were coming home. By the way, I just did CQ. I wasn't doing YYZ. Well, that's okay. No worries. <laughs> uh, but they knew that they were coming home. But this entire piece is written as a plane ride home. That's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. So, Exit Stage Left, um, love the whole thing, right? Um, have it on vinyl now. It's, it was one of the short lists. gorgeous. One it? of the short lists of when I got into vinyl a couple years ago. One of the things I have to have immediately. Me too. You know? Me too. I, I, yeah. I, I can remember, here's another old-fashioned sentence. Um, I can remember walking to Blockbuster to rent this VHS when I was a kid wow. to watch it. because and, and like over the summer, doing it all the time because you, know, you have to take it back after two days, go back and get it again. And like My parents are like, why is that on again? You know, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but it's all just so fantastic. Now, having said that, this is not one of my favorite Rush songs. It, it wouldn't be because this is a drummer's. This is a drummer's song. Yeah, this is like Valhalla. When you get to heaven, if you've been real good, <laughs> you get to, uh, and you get to go see Jesus, they give you a copy of this. That's right. Drummer, that's right. Like, Thank you. Like Neil's over there to the left, getting lined. Yeah, <laughs> I'm vamping right now because we're building up to the drum solo. Gotcha. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm just gonna shut up. But listen to this. Harmonics on a bass. Yeah, the, the Getty's bass fills on this are fantastic. point out that for the next couple minutes this is one guy oh yeah there's gonna be cowbells <laughs> he's he was the monster yeah this is double bass I, I can't tell you how many hours double bass before it was cool by the way well, he, was, he wasn't playing a slave pedal, which is... No, he's playing... Yeah. On the same, he has two different bass drums. But what I mean, I mean, like, a lot of people might take that for granted now, because especially with, like, metal and stuff in the 80s and 90s, that became very, you know, Metallica, a large Ulrich playing the double bass. But not a lot of people were doing this not, when he wrote this. They this weren't. brand new. I mean, you think about it, You have two drums. You have to tune them exactly so they're the exact same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's impossible. Here we go. 
So you can hear the triplets yeah. and the and the and the sixteenth notes. There's the triplets. So that's kind of the South African samba esque stuff. So he's playing triplets here. When you think about sure, sure, like um, like Harry Belafonte, kind of that Caribbean type stuff. Yeah. And the toms that he's playing, I believe those are roto toms that he's playing. It's like they bite, they bite into you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are not triplets. <laughs> To be able to do that. Can we, start, we start picking it up here. This is cool. Yeah, the cowbells. How, how does someone who's not an octopus play that? I... I, I, and now on drums at Octopus. <laughs> I've had the privilege of seeing them live a couple times, and it's amazing how much he moves and how, how he can pull all this yeah. off. It's incredible. I mean, listen, that, that's a floor tom he's playing on, which is... I mean, what other part of the song is it? Did he have this floor tom just for this one section? Probably. It could be. I mean, his, his drum set was his, legendarily his massive. Yeah. yeah. Alex and Getty are in the back having a beer. Yeah, just kind of <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, maybe a kombucha. Maybe a. Con- <laughs> they were nerds. <laughs> so that I mean, I, it, it's funny that I, I can listen to that song and sing along to it because there are no words to it. Right. You know, the whole song is is supposed to be a plane ride. You know. Well, and it's it's, it's a drum centric song. Yeah. And the bass holds everything together. And the guitar is kind of an afterthought. Now his his lead playing in that is quite good because it's Alex Lifeson and everything he does is quite good. I mean the guy's just a he's a magician, but he's the least important part. And so you know going back to your that's why you love it so much. You know with your drum background as a guitar player, I was like, can we get to one of the songs that's got some like serious guitar solos in it, please? You know, can we get back to oh, why are they doing this? But but see, and this it's is fantastic though. I mean it's it's some of the best drumming ever. Where I where I'll disagree with you on that is the entire album. Um, there there are four major instruments. You've got drums, which are all the things that Neil was playing. Uh, you got the guitar player, which, by the way, I think he was a Gibson guy too, right? Um, at different phases, he played different things. Okay, um, but you had Getty Lee that was playing a, a bass Key- and, and keyboard. keyboards. Hey, and sometimes he plays bass with his hands and keyboards with his feet, and sometimes he plays keyboards with his hands and bass with his feet. So and, I mean, and I think that within that song, they were doing a lot of that. And, and then he'll sing too, which is you throw the, the singing in there, and you realize just. How great these guys are. He's he's not a he's not human. He's really not. No, I mean, none of them are. I yeah, mean, it's it's insane. They're all virtuosos. I mean, it's and it's kind of an unusual thing that you get. You know, there was all these like super. You, know, you had like Yes and people like that, which were you know very talented musicians, but somehow never managed to put something together. In my opinion, like what Rush did. Okay, like, because the, the songwriting is so tight. I mean, they were Rush was able to write stuff. Um, you know, from this album you know, there's so many hits on this i mean you've got stuff that's actual like rock anthem sing-along yeah. stuff tom sawyer's on this album yeah which is like yeah. the studio I mean, closer the, to the heart i mean those, those were all hits oh yeah right? the closer to the heart everybody sings along with that yeah. you know just, so they wrote they wrote songs that were very radio accessible but they also had this super top-notch instrumentation it's just and then these deep incredible lyrics you know neil's lyrics are you know 
poetry and novel worthy stuff you know I mean he wrote he wrote some very very interesting things yeah and so and again the drummer was the one who was writing the lyrics yeah but what it, it, for me that was what <laughs> that's, that's right that's, no, I, I get it spoke to my soul you know it. and, and there's a there's a and they're Canadian they're like oh man <laughs> <laughs> Which is why they're so nice, right? Um, there's this funny part in a documentary that came out uh, a couple years ago. Oh, it's been longer than that. Um, but where they, where they talk about it, everybody's heard this story, I'm sure. But I just I always thought it was hilarious. Because if you listen to, like, the first Rush album, it's basically like they're trying to be Led Zeppelin and everything else from the 70s. Right? Okay. And you got, like, Working Man and stuff like that. And then they go on tour with Neil, the new drummer, because he wasn't the original drummer. You know, they had a drummer before that on the first album. And I think he worked at his father's farm implement sales store. And, like, his dad took him to the audition and like, the farm truck and, like, you know, the gangly kid and everything. And they go on tour, and he's, like, reading books the whole time. And, they're, you know, you can see Alex and Getty over in the corner going, maybe we should let this guy write some lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> we got, like, Working Man version 4 here. What's this guy? And so then he started writing stuff, and then, you know, there you go. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Are, are we going to do the the, the, uh, the, the 2012 Oh, 2112, I think. 2112, yeah. I, I think we, we absolutely will have to. That's that's an interesting story all in and of itself. Yeah. So I guess at some point we'll come back to... That will circle, we'll circle back around on that, the, yeah. The, the genius of Neil. The, the genius of Neil. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. So that was hey, my... That, num- that, was a, that was a good one, man. Thanks. You know, uh, I figured that when you were going through my list and you saw Rush, you were like, oh, yeah, and then you go to YYZ, you're like, God damn it. I knew he was going to pick that one. <laughs> But it, it was it, it's a good one to talk about though because there is I mean that, that backstory on that's fantastic yeah all right excuse me you're up okay uh, this is my number eight this is favorite thing by the replacements off the album Let It Be from 1984 so when you first uh, when you and I were first talking about the replacements you had an interesting introduction to them yes I did um, so. My uncle, who is the same one who I rated the cassette collection for Zeppelin, I was up there several years later, um, and I had entered what I would describe as every teenager's late 80s cock rock phase, you know, and <laughs> Motley Crue and the Def Leppard, all the stuff that was on at the time. Did you have the mullet? Because I did. No, I, I definitely oh, yeah. did not. Okay, I've got, I've got, I had a royal mullet. And I, I don't even allow my sophomore year no. picture to be I, shown. I did not have a very good haircut, but it was not a mullet. <laughs> okay. um, so I was there, and... My uncle was very, I was staying with him, and he was very unimpressed with my taste in music, let me put it mildly. So my, my uncle's a big music, huge music guy. And uh, so this was the summer, well, whatever the time period was, summer for my freshman year, maybe, I'm not sure. And I think it was the summer for my freshman year in high school. So eighth grade, yeah, still listening to all that stuff that was going on. Right. And he gave me two CDs to listen to. He was like, you need to change your taste in music. Yeah. And uh, this was one of them. And it totally changed my taste in music without question. Wow. Um, it was it was impressive. You know, you got because these they kind of got. I mean, this is a very catchy song, but it's kind of got the a little bit of the punk rock ethos to it in the sense that they're not really trying that hard. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, sure. they're, they're they're pretty sloppy, and the song's kind of thrown together. And but at the same time, there's so much energy, and it's just so well done. Yeah. Um. You know, the Let It Be, obviously a reference to the the famous album from. A band that you like very much, ah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, so it's it's a total rebellious kind of fing, finger, fun of it, yeah, right? like finger at the rock industry kind of thing. You know, <laughs> to to name their album that way. And you know, I thought the cover of the album is fantastic. They're all sitting up on a roof, like smoking cigarettes. They look like they've been up all night long. You know, I mean, just the whole thing was just so rebellious and cool. Yeah. And uh, but but very stripped down. I mean, there's not a lot going on in the song. You know, it's just, drums, bass, and two guitars. guitar. Yeah, and and then the the lead. So yeah. and, uh, there you go. And what what I was. 
thought was interesting about these guys uh, is that there was a certain zeitgeist in the mid eighties. Uh, Absolutely. That, was, that I always thought was interesting. It didn't last very long, uh, but it was it was kind of like a rebellion against MTV, right? Um, so you had like the punk stuff that came along, uh, and the punk musicians weren't that great. Right. Well, the replacements to me are kind of like a post-punk. Sure. But, yeah. but somewhat melodic. Well, yeah, um, but, but but not that cock rocky stuff that you're talking about, right? Right. Not. I mean, we're not talking like you know big hair and high harmonies and stuff like that. But you are talking about some very very catchy songs. Yeah. Um. You know, ba- bass playing on this uh, definitely reminds me of that that mid '80s sound, if yeah. you will. You know, um, guitar. I mean, you're just talking some guitars plugged into amps. I mean, these guys aren't running through big pedal boards or anything. You know. I mean, this is just a very stripped down um, rock and roll band. I mean, no, it's just, it's just rock and roll. No keyboards. This is. This, this is, is just, just rock, rock and roll, and roll right? This is just rock and roll. All right, this is a favorite thing by the replacements. So talking about them, uh, that kind of punk not being able to play... You listen to what's going. These guys actually can play. Let's just say they're not trying real hard. Like they, they're very. There's a lot of good stuff going on in this song. The guitars. Both the guitars are kind of playing back and forth on the riffs against each other. Um, you know what's funny about the guitars though is that they're oddly, intentionally, off tune from one another. Yeah, you, like can, you, can, you tell, can tell they're not exactly right. Yeah, yeah, but like they, the, they want to be that way. So Paul Westerberg is the singer in the. Paul Westerberg's the singer in the. Bob Stinson. Bob Stinson, guitar player. Yeah. And uh, his brother was the bass player. That's right. Yeah. The other Stinson, whatever his name was. Do you think it's interesting that siblings who play in bands together somehow have this, like, syncopated ability to... I mean, like... Well, I mean, I guess if you grow up, like... It, AC/DC. This is the best part of the song right here. It's not bass. It's a chugging bass, you know? It's such a... It's almost anthemic. And then we got Bob Stinson's kind of pseudo metal guitar playing. Is he playing the octaves there by himself? So that's just one well, guy actually, playing those. You know, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I never think of Paul as much of a lead player, but he may very well be playing along with him as well. But see, I was talking about the atonal thing. They're kind of doing it with the backup vocals they too. Are, right? They are. Yeah. Yeah, you get it's descending and it's like the, everything's running against each other. You know, the descending and descending lines and the music—it's really cool. Yeah. And it's a very short song, which is appropriate. You know, they didn't sure. have too much to say. <laughs> well, and you listen to that part right there—that's not Ramones. That it, like Ramones that could play. <laughs> if the Ramones had known how to play their instruments, they might have sounded like that. Damn, that was a short song. I told you, man. It's it's boom, 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 out. Yeah. Done. I kind of want to listen to it again. <laughs> well, and, and that's literally what I did, like, because that's the second track on that album. Yeah. And so the first one, so okay, that's just fine. And that one hit. I was like, wait, what is going on here? I love the whole album to this yeah. day. Once again, I have that on vinyl. I do too. One of the ones you absolutely have to have on vinyl, in yeah. my opinion. So uh, the, uh, my f- song from them that I love is "Answering Machine." Oh, that uh, is such a great song. But, but it's all Paul, right? That's yeah, that's him just him on guitar. And then uh, if I remember from the liner notes, somebody else is doing some like rhythm in the background, like gotcha. banging on blocks or something. I but but why, is. why is this? Because I knew that you were a Replacements fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that this is your... You like this album more than you do like Tim, right? Oh, by a long shot. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but why this song? Why, why is this one? I don't know. It, 
what, what, the first time I heard this, it just appealed to me, and nice. it like it, it threw out all my other musical tastes and like totally totally changed. I I don't know. This was like it was an eye opening experience for me to get a, to get away from what was on the radio and what was on TV and what was you know polished and perfect and hair and outfits and that this it was just like it was a maturity thing maybe it was just ready for something different obviously this album came out years before any of that stuff did 84 84. yeah yeah wow 84 and so it does sound like a lot of the rock that we think about from that period you know maybe that some of that's the recording maybe some of that's just the as you said the zeitgeist of the whole thing but sure there's just there's something magical about it The, the whole album is just full of energy and rebellion and solidly written tunes man yeah you know, it's funny when I go back and listen to punk stuff, uh, I realize that what they're doing is just like the late 50s or mid to late fifties, like doo-wop rock almost stuff. Just kind of uh, amped up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're kind of playing Buddy Holly stuff, which by the way, I'm, I'm, I heard, I heard someone on the radio this week say that Buddy Holly was overrated and I, it, and it, it, it hit me down really? in my soul, Jason, that I realized that they were absolutely right. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to go with that. So overrated, but uh, I mean, unless you're from uh, Lubbock, I guess, and then he's a hero. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so yeah, and, and uh, we're not that far from Lubbock, so I mean, I understand it's like a regional thing, but I have never, never did anything for me at all. Never got it. But if you listen to the Ramones, they were just copying a lot of that that fifties kind of rudimentary, Real simple stuff. Type of rock yeah, I can yeah. see that. Uh, and then when he gets into that, dun, dun, my favorite thing, you know, just it's almost like he's doing that. Um, it's like uh, the. Uh, like you're screaming, dang, dang, dang right, right, dang, right, right, dang, 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 fist up in the dang. air and kind of yeah. sing, but it's also very melodic and sing along. Yeah, which is so it's re- they, they kind of got they got a lot of different things going. What, on. What that whole the, album is fantastic, kids. If you haven't heard the album, go out and buy the album. It's great. Let it be, let it be. Yeah, interesting. That, that's a good pick. It's right, fast. That, that, that's probably the fastest. That would be the, the quickest song on the entire top ten list. I would imagine. I, I, f- I have two songs that are both like eleven minutes long. So <laughs> I think YYZ is probably that many. We're gonna have to bring provisions in. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. All right. Well, hey. So that that was your number eight. My, that my, was my number eight. My, my number eight song uh, is is an interesting song. Um, it well, my, a, a great song by a great band off a great album. I might say again, royalty. We talk about grunge. Total royalty. royalty. Th- this is grunge royalty. Um, and what's interesting about this song, uh, and I would dedicate this to my friend Jeremy Blackwell, uh, for obvious reasons. My very first college class that I ever had. When I went to college in 1995, I walked into an English class, and the professor's name was Martin Jacobson. And he was he had a, a beret on when he came in. But, of course, in, in, in yeah. College Station, huh? Okay. At A&M, yeah. Uh, and he was such an interesting guy. It was a composition English class. Okay. And uh, in this class, we broke down the song, Jeremy, by Pearl Jam. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, also, so, the album... Off the album 10. Yes. Which, uh, I said this in, on the bonus episode, there were three mega giants. The three giants of grunge were all released within a six-month period of each other in 1991. That was Pearl Jam's 10, Nirvana's Nevermind, and then Bad Motor Finger by, um, Soundgarden. by Soundgarden. Absolutely. Yeah. And so th- those, are, those are the three ones. The, all three of those bands were all from Seattle. Uh, oh, there goes a the truck. Nice. Can you hear, can you hear yes, it? Yes, I did. <laughs> Was either that or a very low flying plane? I'm not sure which one. Our uh, our very well thought out uh, studio here can still pick up some of the road noise that comes by. <laughs> but w- so in this class, we broke down the song Jeremy. Uh, so here's the story with Jeremy. Th- the setting for Jeremy was Richardson, Texas. I grew up outside of McKinney, Texas, which was no more than maybe 20, 30 minutes away. Uh, so in uh, 
January, January 8th of 1991, around 9.30 in the morning, Jeremy Dell Wade walked into his second period English class and was late. And the teacher said, you got to go get a tardy slip. And he walked out of the classroom and he came back with a gun and he said, I have something for you. And he shot himself in front of everyone. That's right. Right. Uh, that was in January of 1991. I was in eighth grade in 1991. And so Jeremy Dell Wade was a year older than me. He was at Richardson High School. So this happened like right around the corner from where I lived. Right. Uh, I didn't know anything about the story. I didn't know anything about it. Um, except that when 10 came out, there was this song, Jeremy, and right. this video about this kid killing himself, himself in front of the yeah. class. Yeah, yeah. But, but in the video, we weren't really sure because you couldn't really tell in the video was he shooting himself or shooting the kids. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the director wanted to have him shoot himself, but MTV thought that was too much violence. So they ended up making it ambiguous. Which, which actually it makes it worse, <laughs> yeah. Which actually made it a lot worse yeah. because then every we, we all thought the same thing, right? Yeah. Why are all these kids covered in blood at the end of this video? What's going on here? Yeah, uh, and so but, so the story is he shot himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a 14, 15 year old kid shot himself. What a tragedy! Uh, the, the singer of Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, reads this in the newspaper. Uh, he is taken by the story of this young man whose life was so bad at that time that he couldn't help but have this very public suicide, and wrote this song about this kid who was completely left out. His mom and dad wanted nothing to do with him. And his little world was out in the woods uh, where he got to be King Jeremy the Wicked. Right. You know? And it's so funny, my friend Jeremy, we, he and I used to say that all the time. Uh, we call him King Jeremy the King Wicked. King Jeremy the yeah. Wicked. That's yeah. funny. Uh, but here's the truth. Jeremy Dale Wade had a good relationship with his mom and dad. He he was not a kid who was ignored by his mother because he wasn't stylish or because his dad was working too hard. Really? He was just a troubled kid. Gotcha. And so could you imagine <laughs> your 15-year-old son committing suicide? Now I have a 15-year-old son. I cannot imagine that at all. That's, that's, that's crazy. And then the hottest band in the world writes the soundtrack to it. That has nothing, nothing. at all. It makes you look like a, an absolute maniac of a parent. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah, and so if you go look on the internet, uh, so go go look on the on the backstory of Jeremy Dale Wade. Uh, his mom and dad were just heartbroken by this, and then they were completely shattered by the fact that this band made this song that made them sound like that. Nellis is now the number one video on MTV and gets nominated for VMAs and everything else, and it's only half of the story. That's right. That's right. Well, it's it's not even half the story. Gotcha. It it, it is fiction, and so when they go back and they ask Eddie Vedder. Uh, did you talk to anyone about the backstory before you wrote Jeremy? Or did you just make it up in your head? And he says, no, I just made it up in my head because um, the, the old story in journalism is if the lie is more entertaining than the truth, print the lie. Sure. Right. And so for him, he wanted to tell the story about all these, these kids out there that were disenfranchised and, and stricken with sadness. And, you know, he thought that they had a story to tell. This is the early 90s. So. Yeah. Um, but he did, he did so. Uh, it, using the uh, the collateral damage of this yeah, family, an, an actual an actual true story, to a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the true story was, yeah, the, the kid shot himself in front of this classroom. The rest of it was completely, was completely made, made up. up. By Man, that, I, and I had no idea. I knew that, I knew what the story. Everything I knew about the story ended with the part that he shot himself. I had no yeah. idea about the parents. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So uh, it, in in high school. Like you know that happened like right around the corner, right? Gotcha. Yeah. And, and the drummer uh, was was. Uh, He's from Mesquite, and so he went to high school with Jeremy. Well, he didn't. Uh, right. So, uh, Abruzio, Abruzzo, what's uh, the Abruzio was? Uh, he was until the next out. I forget who I forget who the drummer was on this album on Ten and the Studio. 
uh, he quit before they went on the road, and uh, Dave took over and then drummed with them after that. Well, so, how but Dave is from Texas, though. He's from up in the, he's from Mesquite. Yeah, yeah, from but, Mesquite. But yeah. how funny is it that just the urban legend, even before the internet, got to the point where we were telling the story about this kid over here in Richardson that shot himself, and, 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 and it had and nothing to do with and it. Here we are blaming social media for spreading bullshit, right? We were doing it just fine twenty years before yeah, it existed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Listen, you tell me one one reason that Richard Gere story was able to get out like <laughs> before the internet ever happened. Or Rod Stewart. This is Jeremy. So, on a technical note, one thing I've always loved about uh, Jeff Immens playing on this album is this 12-string bass sound. That mm-hmm. is such a cool tone. Yeah. In it's only two bass players that I listen to that use the 12-string bass, and we're going to talk about one of the others here <laughs> in a little bit. But uh, sure we are. This is uh, actually one of two songs in this album that Jeff Emmett wrote the music to. Really? This is his riff. He's got he's got musical credit on the final, if you look at it. It's gorgeous. Beautiful. A- everything about this song, I love. Uh, and not to the point where I've broken it down for a college paper, a research paper. Sure, sure. Everything about this song. This this is this is my youth. This is my coming of age. Oh, this is a soundtrack. Th- this was me losing uh, innocence because someone my age had done this. Sure. This part right here. Once again, as we've talked about before, you and I personally, and we'll talk about again, um, lyrics are way more your thing than they are mine. Um, what I what I listen to with this song constantly is just the layers of sound that you got to get the 12-string bass, you've got two guitar players who are just layering things all over the place, and then, of yeah. course, Eddie Vedder's voice on this entire album is just fantastic, and this song stands out as just, just a pinnacle of his vocal abilities, yeah. you know, just yeah. that... He sang like nobody else was singing at the time. That and he's to blame for the straw singing. Yeah, he, 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 he's to blame for the guy from Creed getting a career. You know, um, but, uh, days of the new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all yeah. those guys that kind of do that kind of stuff. But but he did it first and he did it best. And uh, he sounds fantastic on this. The drumming's perfect. The uh, the recording quality on this album is perfect. I mean, there's so much clarity. You can hear the whole thing. Everything about it's just. Such a, I, I remember just completely wearing this CD out if that was possible. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this to this album. Of course, I mean, I listen, again, I listened to the song for a college grade. So, right, right, right. I mean, I, I've listened to this song so many times over and over and having to research, you know, at this time, the internet was in its infancy, so they right. didn't break this stuff down. I actually had to go, like, find the newspapers and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I looked up Marty Jacobson, my professor, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's a, he's a professor of English. Uh, at a college still in Texas, but he's out in West Texas. You'll have to send him a copy of your uh, of the Jeremy recording. Marty, I just want you to know, 25 years later, you had a profound effect <laughs> on my life. <laughs> I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen to him going crazy here. Yeah, the who's. And here's the moral I, of the story. Try to forget this. Try to forget this. Yeah. Try to erase this yeah. from the blackboard. Yeah. But but what makes me sad about this thing, going back to the parents, is he's he's creating some sort of monster, right? Some sort of monster that did this to Jeremy Del Wade. Yeah, he made a narrative that was entirely fictional. Yeah, how dare you all do this to him? Yeah, why did you raise it? Why did you treat him so yeah, poorly that you, you felt the need to do yeah. this? You know, but, in the meantime, you got a couple of really decent parents doing their best with a troubled teenager. Yeah, and, and now you have a classroom full of kids that he's talking about. And what about that poor teacher? You know, oh, at the yeah. end, he's like, tried to erase this from your blackboard. Like, right. it was the teacher's fault. Right. You know? Like, the teacher's like, I just told him to go get a tardy slip. But, you know, I didn't really think he was going to. Eddie Vitter throwing an imaginary finger at everybody. Yeah. yeah. Which well, he's 
that that's kind of that's his, what he's done. That's his thing, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, the album's gorgeous. That that is a that is a brilliant selection. Um, I, I got to see them at Lollapalooza in '92. Wow. And they were that just, was yeah, that, that was when they were yeah, they, they were just unbelievable live. You wow. know, and uh, the whole like you know Eddie Vedder crawling on the scaffolding and all yeah. the stuff you know, that he was famous for doing in the videos. I mean, that was his shtick back then. I'm the sure. flannel shirt and the blue jean. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean it was yeah. grunge chic, if you will. Well, the, I mean, that was is, about the time period that we all ran out and bought combat boots. We did, and fl- you know, flannel shirts. Absolutely, and, yeah, because that was no self-respecting teenager would have been caught without. <laughs> That's right. Well, and it's funny where you know if if you and I go back and define ourselves like who we are, uh, you can't do that. You, you can't, can't get write away the from story. That. Yeah. You can't write my story or your story without this album. Well, yeah, it's like people talking about. Well, I was there in the '60s, or I was there in the '70s. You know, it's like well, we were there in the '90s. Yeah, you know, and that's that, that's our soundtrack. So. Yeah, it sure was. Yeah. That was a, that was a great selection, man. Well done. And by the way, this is also I, I know you have this on vinyl as well, but just uh, it's fantastic on vinyl. The, the warmth that comes out of it is just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, this and, is a must own, and we'll talk about vinyl from time to time. Uh, but the reason vinyl is so good is because it sounds like the band is in the room with you. Oh, it changes everything. Yeah. Uh, and and there are some albums that just don't sound good on vinyl or you can't really tell the difference, right? Those are the ones that were recorded on a digital machine. So it doesn't make it, you might as well just put the CD on and not worry about it or stream it or whatever, because it doesn't make any difference. But if it was recorded warmly, it's going to sound warm. Sounds like the band is right there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But there's that, there's that whole sick addiction thing that builds once you start getting into vinyl though, because like your first record player isn't good enough after a while. And then your first set of speakers isn't good enough after a while. And then you need a different preamp. And then, before you know it, it's got a little bit of a problem. <laughs> so I, I joke sometimes that uh, if I if I were to put a guitar in your hands, it's a bad guitar. You know the difference, right? Sure. If I put a bottle of wine in your hand, that is a, a crappy bottle of wine. You're going to know the difference, right? Well, listen, that's just how it is. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Man. <laughs> you you put a record player in front of me. I'm going to know the know, difference. I'm going to know the difference. Yeah. That's exactly right. Now, if, if it's bad speakers or whatever, then well, you know, yeah. I can't really tell. But um, I don't have bad speakers. No, you have you have very nice speakers. Yeah. I have nice speakers too, but mine are smaller than yours. But I, I think that's a genetics thing. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So my, my number. My number eight is Jeremy Pearl Jam from Ten. That's a 1991. Fantastic selection. Well done. Oh, and by the way, uh, the B side on that was Yellow Leadbetter. Was it really? Which, if I never heard again, I would be okay with. Yellow Leadbetter was the B side on that. Well, that didn't come out until the next album, right? Th- th- it was never on an album. It was just a single. <gasps> really. Yellow Leadbetter was just a single. Was the B-side. Was the B-side. I did not know that. Wow. Or at least it wasn't on Versus or Vitology, which were the next two albums. I stopped buying Pearl Jam albums after Vitology. So. Interesting. But yeah, it was the B-side. So. Huh. That's uh, Mike McCready trying to be Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Eddie Vedder making up the words as he goes. Uh, right? yeah, that, it's that, just him like... Yeah, it's awful. All right. Okay, so... Number seven. Number seven. Oh, man, I love this band. So uh, this is, I mentioned earlier when I got the replacement CD, the other band I got a CD of was Talking Heads. It was not this album, though. It will be an album that we talk about. Um, My number seven is This Must Be The Place, parentheses, Nave Melody, Talking Heads, off the album Speaking in Tongues. This is 1983. Uh, Fantastic song. Um, I've always liked this song. From the first time I heard it, and I could not even begin to tell you why. It's just one of those songs that just, it just stuck with me. I agree. I just liked it. I just, for some reason, I liked it. Yeah. It was just, I had to hear it again, and then I had to hear it again. It's one of those songs, if it comes on, I will stop and listen to. It is something that I can frequently find myself 
So I don't know if you do this, but we, we live so close to our office that you know I have music playing on my phone. I get in my truck, the music comes on, and I might not get home before the song is over. And mm. so then my iPhone will automatically start the song again the next time I get back in the truck. And just I have literally gone for days with this song being the song that I listen to going back and forth to the office. I just really it just I, starts I, over. It just starts over, and I just listen to it all over again. I can't get enough of it. So this um, this song is um, very simplistic. Uh, hence the naive melody part. And you, is there you guys, anything at all simplistic about Talking Heads? Well, no, there's not. And I think it's the, the, the song, the melody is simplistic, the arrangement is simplistic, but it's done that way on purpose. Sure, because it's Talking Heads, right? Well, and that's how they do things. Sure, and, and melody is always the thing that I always go back to. That um, you're, you're listening for the instrumentation, I'm listening for the melody. Sure, uh, because there's there's the words. As well as the the sound to it, right? And this is all non sequiturs, typical of, of talking heads, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's just like, it's phrases that he just puts together. But the phrases are intentional. I mean, it's it's a, it's a love song mm-hmm. uh, written for his wife. Okay, at the time, if, as I understand it, um, if you, if you listen to it in that context, the non sequiturs are actually pretty fantastic. Um, it, it it's <laughs> funny story. Um, one night after you left my house, uh, after consuming numerous bottles of wine, we had. <laughs> Seems like we have a pattern. Yeah, there, right? so people are going to start to get a sense that there's a there's a something going on here. Um, you left my house, and I was actually we had been listening to this as well as numerous other Talking Heads song that evening. And uh, my wife, in her normal fashion, had uh, gone to bed before everybody else. Ooh, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> you better watch out. I'm just, I, you know, girl needs to go to bed. Girl needs to go to bed. But uh, I had stayed up late and just She's listened to this girl. song over and over and over and over again. And I actually took the time to type the lyrics out in a Facebook message and send them to my wife because I thought I was being romantic. Of course, this is like 3 o'clock in the morning after. Yeah. She wakes up the next morning. She's like, what the hell did you send me the Talking Heads lyrics at 3 o'clock this morning? I don't know. It seemed like a good idea at the time. But I, I, everything about the song is fantastic. Um, the fact that it's in, it's in, do you know what movie it's in as it, in the soundtrack? I don't. Wall Street. Oh, really? When he goes to buy that his penthouse apartment for the first time, okay. this must be the place, is what's playing as they do that montage, really? as they, the helicopter cruises around the building. and So there's always, the song just fits so well in so many different things. But go ahead and uh, hit play and we'll talk, we'll talk yeah. through it. But there's not much going on musically, so it's a kind of an unusual thing I, for me to be that fascinated with it, but it's just perfectly well done. I got to tell you, when I saw this, I, I assumed there would be a Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it would be Remain in Light. I, I thought it would one be of my once, favorite albums of all time. I thought it would be Once in a Lifetime. And so when I saw time. this, I went, "This must be the place." Naive Melody. What in the hell is that? Like what? <laughs> like this is your TV sheets of the first. Yeah, the first it, it, five, abso- right? it absolutely is, right? And, and as soon as I heard it, I went, "I know this song." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and that, that's the thing. It's just. It's just a great song, right? And there's so many other songs on here we could talk about where I could go, I love the guitar part, or the drums are great, or here's the story behind the lyrics. And this has all a little bit of that, but it's just a great song. It's yeah. just, you know, when I was thinking of songs, top 10 songs, which was really hard for me to do in the first place, and ordering them was almost impossible, but I knew that this song had to be on there because it's one of those songs that I just love listening to. What, what is the naive melody? Naive well, melody. What, okay, well, that's that David Byrne talking about the fact that he thought the, the melody was so simplistic in this song that it was... It, it would never work. It was just, it was naive. Really? There's nothing to it. Like, if you think about the rest of their catalog. What is he doing with that, that, that synthesizer that, 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 wheel? Yeah, the keyboard yeah. wheel, yeah. Yeah. I love the guitar riff in the background. Give me some volume. It's like very minimalistic. Yeah. 
all those non sequiturs in there. But like I said, they make sense in the order he put them in. So. That wall of sound that's there. So much sound. A, a lot of synth, yeah. but there's a wall of sound that there is. The bass player is really holding down this this groove that's just driving the whole thing. And you got the guitar parts that are dancing in and out. And then, of course, two different keyboards, I think, at different times. So, And, of course, his voice is... Iconic. Iconic is yeah. the word. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. the word. For, um, for the MTV generation? Absolutely. I mean, is, is there a... But once in a lifetime up there with any of the other, I mean, it's I wouldn't say it's like Billy Jean, but I mean, for new waivers it might not be. It I mean, might it's very probably well up there, there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. You, you were just doing the wacky arms. Yeah, I was thing. doing the wacky arms thing for the video. Yeah. You can't see it over the microphone. But, uh, that's why we don't have a camera in here. <laughs> yeah, thank God we don't. That's right. Yeah, I'd have to put pants on. <laughs> hey, hey. See, he was playing around with that wheel before in the synthesizer. Yeah, and it sounded kind of stupid, but there he's actually playing. While he's doing it, yeah, yeah. And, and like incorporating it as a, like a mastery of that instrument. Yeah, it's it's. And here comes the guitar back in again. It's simple guitar parts, but very well structured and very well. Everything is layered. It's just layered in there so nicely. It really is. There it is. There it is. This people Your notes have that Byrne was the one playing the keyboard. So it's him doing it? Yeah, I think so. Have you heard any of the stuff that he's done with St. Vincent with Annie Clark? No, I don't think so. I think you... Did you send me something when it... Yeah, I yeah, absolutely I think, I think, yeah. I think you did. Yeah. Okay. She's a Highland I, Park girl, so she's a Dallas girl. Everything always goes back to Dallas, of course. It's the center of the universe. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys and Pearl Jam. <laughs> Pearl Jam's made up story. <laughs> yeah, Pearl Jam's fake story. <laughs> Pearl Jam's fake story. Nineteen ninety one. Yeah, um, but yeah, she's from Lake Highlands, and uh, their album that they did together is a pretty fantastic. Was, uh, I mean, it's it's of course all David Byrne stuff. All kind of it, he, he somehow he's able to do things that all kind of sound like David Byrne, but none of it really suffers from saying song itis. If that makes sense. No, ab- absolutely. It all sounds different. Absolutely, but it all sounds like him because I think his voice and his style is so unique. Yeah. So distinctive, you're never going to not think it was David Byrne. Yeah. Listen to all the stuff going on here. See, Brian Wilson. You admitted right now that Brian Wilson was a genius. Brian Wilson definitely had a lot of influence <laughs> on a lot of these recordings. All you do is say that. genius. Just say genius. Just do it. Genius is an overused word. <laughs> but, you, but, you know, to your point, a lot of this, like the layering that's going on here, would not probably exist without the influence of that album. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, uh, Rubber Soul started... And then it went to Pet Sounds. Yeah. The, and then it went to Revolver. Right. And then before Brian Wilson could get the smile sessions out, they put out Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper, which is the kind of the iconic layering album of that time yeah, period, if yeah. you will. And it, and it was so good that he literally went insane uh, and spent 10 years <laughs> eating ribeye steaks. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great selection. I'm I, glad I you like it. I'm glad that. you yeah. like it. Um, it. It's so, like you said, it's my TV sheets on this list because it doesn't. It's like one of these things is not like the other because it doesn't really go along with all of the other selections, but it's just it's, it's, it's a fantastic there. song. Yeah. Um, is that the only synth song in this? 
five, oh, okay, five okay. cent. <laughs> there's two keyboards playing. That's got to be cent, right? There, there may be a, there, there's going to be another keyboard on the list at some point. How's okay. that? Okay, okay, I'm with you. All right, well, that was my number seven. This must be the place. Talking Heads. Off not, the Speaking in Tongues album. Naive Melody. Naive yeah. Melody. Yeah, yeah we got to put Melody in there. It's right? got to be in there. Naive <laughs> Melody. <laughs> That's from 1983, too. The other thing is the quality of the recording on that. That is so, so solid. Well, if you listen to any of their 80s stuff, like all of their albums, like Remain in Light, which we will talk about at some point, it, like the, the recording quality, just how amazing everything sounds is really unbelievable. Yeah. And that was recorded within a year of the replacements. I mean, I went back to back eighties here. We and, sure did. And they are, uh, they could not be more light years apart in how they sound. Could they remind me before we do our, our second episode of this, uh, to go back and do an average of our songs of the year. So we find out what the average year is. Oh, that would be interesting. These. Wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, because I mean, I've, just, I've got one that's going to throw it off because it was within the last, I mean, few j- years. just so far, I mean, we've represented obviously the nineties. We've represented the, 80s a couple times we've got the 70s you had the 60s so there's a lot going on here yeah it's kind of all over the place all right so th- that's that's six songs should we take a break yeah why not yeah let's take a little let's break. take a little break yeah all right Attention retail store owners. Listen for yourself and your customers. RetailProDemo.com will increase your profitability and efficiency. This tailored retail management software handles your front-end point of sale, improves customer experience, streamlines store operations and back office applications with powerful reporting and analytics. With concierge-level implementation and hands-on training, RetailPro, powered by complete data systems, will take your business to the next level. Visit RetailProDemo.com. That's RetailPro demo.com That's Jason, I'm Michael, this is our favorite albums and we're running down our top 10 songs of all time starting with number 10 through number 6. You can hear me lean by the way. You hear my chair leaning? I I, w- I, w- I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. They're not exactly soundproof chairs. Listen, I don't want to brag, but we have uh, pleather chairs. Pleather, here. yes. Nothing, yeah. nothing but the finest in our studio. In studio C, D, and S. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we just did my uh, my seven, which, if my math is correct, puts us at your seven. At my seven, right? We have three more songs to go in this episode, and then we'll start up uh, with our um, our top five songs in the next episode. My number seven song is, a, is one of the most unique of the entire discography for the Rolling Stones. I would not disagree with you. <laughs> it's from my favorite album by the Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, that came out in 1971. Uh, and you think about where the Rolling Stones had come from. They started off very much like the Van Morrison Beatles skiffle blues band. They wanted to be a blues band. And then they got into Psychedelia. And they got to be so big that they couldn't pay their taxes and got kicked out of their home country. That's crazy. Tax exiles, isn't that nuts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, so uh, the album Exile on Main Street was talking about this exactly right. what they were talking about, is they were exiled from their own country. Right. How, how, do you be a, um, how do you be a patriot without a country to go to? You know? 
And well, you could pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. It's a thought, you know. Uh, but what's interesting about this song uh, is from the Sticky Fingers album, uh, which spawns some of the greatest songs uh, in the entire uh in the entire history of the Rolling Stones, which, by the way, and you and I have talked about this before, uh, Rolling Stones are the greatest rock and roll band in the history of the world, right? They are the original rock and roll yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what's what's interesting about these guys, and, and I say that with all deference to the Beatles, but the Beatles only lasted for 10 years. Uh, the Rolling Stones are still together. Are still going, yes. Yeah. Uh, and other than COVID, they may have been still touring. That they, I think they were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that... These guys have been a part of uh, of the world culture since 1963, 1962. They are literally the poster that everybody wants to hold up after high school to their teachers and go, and you said this stuff was bad for me. <laughs> like, these guys are still going. Like Keith, Keith Richards, Richards is still alive. Yeah. <laughs> Keith Richards, I think his wife hadn't even been born yet. <laughs> My number seven song is Moonlight Mile. And what makes it so interesting uh, is that you've got the normal players on here uh, within uh, the Rolling Stones. However, this song does not include Keith Richards. Did you know that? Not until I saw your notes on it, and that, yes. that blew my mind. I had no does idea. does not include Keith Richards. Uh, it was written uh, by Mick Taylor, where he is... They've been on the road for all this time. They have been the biggest rock and roll stars ever. They have done everything and everyone that they could get their hands on. They've done every drug that they could get their hands on. And he is weary because, he again, he's a countryman without a country. And so he's weary of being on the road. And they're writing this album, and he sees that one of the main cogs of the entire album, Keith Richards, uh, is so stoned on heroin that he can't even show up to record. And so he starts writing this. And Mick Jagger, being the genius that he is, and by the way, Mick Jagger is a like Mensa-level genius, right? Uh, here's Mick Taylor string along on the song and says, we, we've got to record that song. And so, really? yeah. And so he goes, we've got to do this. And so they put this entire, entire song together uh, with Bill Wyman is still there. Um, but this is a Keith Richards less song by the Rolling Stones off of their greatest album um, in the middle of Rolling Stones era. Yeah. Right. This is Moonlight Mile. He's even going to reference, uh, he says, with a head full of snow. He's talking about the cocaine. Gotcha. Yeah. But he's he's calling out to someone who's not there right now. And he's talking about just how lonely he is out here on the road. It's not sad he is. This sounds like something that somebody like Chris Stapleton should cover. Yeah, doesn't it? You know that kind of like it's 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 got a country American country music vibe to it. It totally does. Yeah, yeah. And don't forget, Wild Horses is from this album as well. That, that's correct. Which is, I mean, that's a country song. It is you know? country. Yeah. It says just another day. Just another crazy day on the road. 
All these days, Sims kind of running together. They run together. Yeah. He says, "I'm just, I'm just out here doing this." I mean, you think about going through the grind of your normal day work. These guys are the biggest rock and roll stars in the world, and they have the exact same thing. They're going through the exact same existential crisis as everyone else, and they have all the money you can think of. All they really want to do is be by the next, be, be next to the person that they love. Yeah. What's what's the old saying? The, the rich are different. Yeah, they have more money. Yeah. These guys have all the same problems everybody else does. Uh, just a lot more drugs. Sure. A, a wise man once said, more money, more problems. More money, more problems. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it, what really strikes me about this song, I mean, I've heard this, obviously, because I've listened to Sticky Fingers a bazillion times, Yeah. but I never really listened to it until it was on the list. Um, it, it's, I'm going to go back to this. What a country song this is. I mean, this is... Even when, when the, the band gets in and they start kind of shuffling along with it, I mean, this is a... It's a country tune, man. This is crazy. One of my favorite. Listen to this. That orchestration yeah. right there and those lines. I'm sleeping under strange, 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 strange skies. skies. Uh, and I love the reference to strange skies. And it goes back to the uh, the King in Yellow. You know, under under. I hadn't thought about ancient that. Ancient Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they talk about Cthulhu lies under under uh, strange skies. Under strange skies. Yeah. And it's interesting that he he chose those lyrics as part of this mythos of him being out here sleeping under strange skies while this single note chord somehow to my top 10 songs are very very simple very rudimentary you know well I mean it, like I just got done saying about my selection sometimes a good song is just a good song you yeah. know I mean it doesn't always have to be about how complicated it was or how intricate the parts were or this or that sometimes a good song is just a good song and, it, and it's so beautifully played and then you realize that Keith Richards isn't playing on this, just which is that just it's crazy. But knowing that he's not on it, you can tell he's not on it, right? Does that make sense? Like totally I, I, I never would have thought about it before, but now that I know, I, I can obviously tell he's not there. Yeah, because he doesn't take off. Yeah, like he doesn't take off and play in that when the you know his weird tunings that he would play, his yeah, open string tunings, his open G Telecaster riffs all over the place, which yeah. he was very worthily famous for. Listen um, to that tone right there. It's almost like that deadened tone that we were talking about from Fool in the Rain, right? That is a weird tone. It's sad. I mean, this song is just so sad to me. This is our second song with orchestration on it. It is. Yeah, yeah. they're the strings. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bass. What a great song! I, I could. What a great song! I, I can't even tell you how many times I've listened to that song. What a great song! Yeah, and, and you know what's what's funny, Jason? Is sometimes when I like, I'll play that song, and I'll sit there and go, "Well, all I'm doing is just playing the same chord over and over, right?" Um, and then you realize how good Mick Jagger was—that he was able to put that much feeling in, uh, and, and that much sound into, you know, in, into what's going on with with this recording. And then he's taking this song that. But and by the way. Um, when the uh, credits to that song were released, uh, Mick Taylor was promised he would be he would get songwriting credits. Did he not? He didn't. It went to Jagger and Richards. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Like Mick Jagger wakes up from his slumber and he's like, "You got to put my name on." Oh, mate. Right? <laughs> I'll put your name on, mate. I know. I told you I was going to do it. 
got to know there's lots of cocaine going on here. I'm so sorry, Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> so that that like the album comes out and he opens up the liner notes. He's like trying to show his girls like this is fantastic. I, what are you trying to show? Me? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and don't you know that after he played it and he's like, this is my masterpiece. You know, I cannot this wait is... to see my name on the print as the songwriter yeah. for this song and the royalties are gonna set me for life. And then yeah, like, like, I got to play lead guitar on my song that I wrote. And uh, <laughs> he pulls it out, but he's not even on it. Oh man, that's rough. Yes, but God, I love that song. It's a great song. I love that song. It's so a great much. song. That, yeah. that, that's one that you could just have as a soundtrack for an evening. Just just listen to it over and over and over again. That whole album is sticky fantastic. fingers. Yeah, uh, and again on album on, on vinyl. Uh, if you're going to invest in vinyl records, then you need to have everything created by the Rolling Stones uh, right up until some girls. <laughs> yeah, that's. I th- uh, after that, it, I, I think you could probably even leave that one off of you. I mean, there's a couple tracks on there that are good, but like their their high point stuff was yeah. definitely. <laughs> then they had to come back in the '90s with a whole bunch of silly stuff. So I mean, they had Voodoo Lounge, and you know, I, I can I can tolerate that. Um, barely. Yeah, I I don't find it very listenable. It's just, and I understand I'm probably in the minority there. Everybody likes it, but it just the Rolling Stones are like a time period yeah. band for me, and I like the stuff that came out of that time period, and that's about it. Yep. So. Got it. Great selection, man. That is what a great song that is. It's different, but uh, so far our top ten from ten to six have been very different. Yes, uh, it, we we've selected uh, s- some pretty popular folks here. We have Zeppelin, we have Allison Chains, Van Morrison, Rush. I guess Pearl Jam is really the only one that was. I mean, Pearl Jam is it's a major player. So okay, well here. All right, comes, so here, so two more to go. Number six. Here comes my number six. Um, man, this guy. Uh, his voice is just, I, I think, one of the greatest voices. It's it's different. It's unusual. Um, talking about Jeff Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, such a tragedy. We only got a, one album out of this guy. It would have been exciting to see uh, what we would have got later. But anyway, this is Lover, You Should Have Come Over. And this is off his album Grace from 94. Um, this song, like the first time I heard this song, I was just captivated by it. And I think most people would probably say that about Jeff Buckley just because his voice is so you know unusual. And the first time you hear him, it's just fantastic. Uh, this is on the flip side. Um, it's a it's kind of a strange song. Um, I don't talk about the lyrics very much, but the lyrics to this, I, I think, are really, really, really kind of cool. Um, I mean, it's almost like he's... The whole thing is like an angsty young man like trying to deal with growing up a little bit i think if you think about it because he talks about maybe i'm too young to keep good love from going bad you know maybe i'm not ready for this yet you know lover you should have come over i was waiting all night he's he's looking out the window down in the street you know talking about what's going on and she's not there and you know sometimes a man just does what a man does and makes some mistakes and that's just the way it is you know so there's this kind of this sense of like sadness and longing with it, but yeah. the, but it's just the way he sings it, and then and from musical side, the chords on this, the chords that he plays are just absolutely fired up. Let's listen to it. I, yeah. I want to hear it now. Um, the musicianship, his band, I think, is fantastic, and he gets the obviously the lion's share of the credit because it's, it's Jeff Buckley and it's his voice and it's his songs. But his backing band is really really good. Um, I don't know if those, any of those guys ever went on to do anything else. So I, I got to tell you, I think Jeff Buckley is one of the most beautiful human beings that have ever lived. Oh yeah, uh, I, I think his ability to play and his ability to sing, um, the the fact that he's dead to me uh, is one of the greatest tragedies in our lifetime. Oh yeah, and it wasn't. I mean, it's an accident. I mean, 
obviously. He drowned, right? Yeah. So he was in the Mississippi River. Yeah, he, he, was, he and a buddy. Probably a little intoxicated. Maybe. I don't know that for sure, but I mean, I think that was what the rumor was. But he went swimming in the Mississippi River. Somehow got swept underneath in the middle of the night. You know, I mean, it's just... It happens. Yeah. You know, but it sucks. What a tragic way to go, you know. I, I can't decide which I like better, his voice or his play. Because as far as player goes... He's a fantastic... He really is. I mean, he, he's so expressive in the way he touches the strings. He is. And that, but that... But nobody else... Like, nobody else sounds like him. No. You know, we talked about that with, like, David Byrne and, like, some of the other guys earlier. You know, I think most of the people on our list sound pretty unique, vocal-wise. But you know it's Jeff Buckley. His voice is very unusual, and not unusual in the sense that it was copied. Like, nobody sounds... Like, with Eddie Vedder, we were talking about earlier, people tried to sound like Eddie Vedder. I I would challenge you to find somebody that tried to sound like Jeff Buckley, just because he's he's unique, you know? I mean, has anyone... I mean, it's, it's, it's soul without... Affectation, exactly. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's definitely a he's, but it's breathy. You know, it's, it is breathy. I mean, he's a. There are some tracks on this album that are kind of almost grungy, you know, and then there's this kind of stuff. So I mean, he's kind of all over the place. And not to let the cat out of the bag, but this album will, will absolutely, absolutely be, on. be on the list. Yes, yeah, yeah, because this is one of the greatest albums ever, ever oh, made. Without question, great. Grace is one of the greatest albums ever. Without made. question, yeah. and, and this is one of those albums. Um, Listen to that. Shut up. What? Wait, You just, you just. Can we rewind that? Is this Van, Van for just a second. Listen to this. Hold on. Do we have enough technology to rewind that? Yeah. You're bouncing. Syncopated rhythms. There's that line. I love that line. But tonight, you're on my mind. So, like he's whispering into the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Subtle. Listen. down and hungry for your love, no way to feed it. Three piece band, right? Here it is. I don't know that there's a more beautiful part of any song ever made than that. That's gorgeous. And, and it's, it's, it's not even coming from his throat. It's like in the, in the he, middle of his oh, chest. It's like soul singing. I mean, he's singing from deep within. Yeah. It's uh, four people on this track. Four. Okay. Okay. Because of the organ. Yes. Okay. There it is. There's that organ. But that's not a Hammond sound, though. That's just like... I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's an organ. Yeah. And see, once again, there he's back to the whole, like, sometimes a man gets carried away and just much too blind to see the damage he's done. It's, it's like, a, it's a very, like a sad, very introspective kind of thing. It's very good. Mm. And here we're, he's going to ramp it up a little bit. His strumming pattern is unusual. He's playing trippingly upon the strings. Yeah, yeah. 
whoever that girl was, if she didn't go over there, <laughs> she, she messed she, up. She, fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's the worst girl ever. She's the worst. How dare you do that to Jeff Buckley? How dare you make Jeff Buckley yeah. feel like that? <laughs> I just slipped our first F word in. Did you? I did. For fuck's sake, Mike. Yeah. All right, now we're even. Yeah. We're not going to go all Andrew Dice Clay on this Oh, thing, no, hell no. If it, I don't even own a spiky leather jacket. If it feels, we're just going to let it feel, right? <laughs> hey, we've got the E next to our podcast. We do. Right? Yeah, so we're, we're explicit. We're we're we paid our, or paid our dues. My God. I love this part. Gospel Church. Yes. Vocals in the back? Yes. Almost like Gregorian chants, right? Yeah. It's, it's unusual. There are a lot of backing vocal tracks going on on that. Yeah. You really notice them a lot more with the headphones on them if you're just blasting it. His control, his vocal control, to be able to break the way he does. Um, I've tried that, you know, uh, in my car usually when I'm <laughs> driving somewhere. Yeah. Right. Like, I can do, I can sing like that. Uh, I don't know that anybody can sing like this. It's, it, a, rare, it's a rare talent. It, it, you Get out of here. <laughs> I don't want to get to sing like Jeff Buckley. It, I mean, I don't know anybody can sing it, like ta- that. Talent's the word, right? Like, you don't. You don't learn that from vocal coaches. Like, you can either sing like that or you can't. Have you seen any of the videos? I'm going to tune this down, by the yeah, way. Yeah, please, please. Uh, have you seen any of the videos where, like, the first reaction of vocal coaches who have, they're, like, listening to something for the first time, that's, like, on YouTube, where it's, uh, now this guy's going to listen to Maynard James Keenan singing okay. know, no. this song. And it's a vocal coach. And I was like, oh, okay, I can see where he's going here. I'm like, wow. So there is someone... <laughs> Uh, there's a vocal coach that I saw a video that she does Jeff Buckley. Uh, it's a live performance he does of Hallelujah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you just like see her eyes where she's just like, what's happening? Like, what's going on? That that song is so overdone without question. But his version of the song, as far as I'm concerned, is the definitive version of the song. Everybody should stop recording it. So Rufus Wainwright did a with all due respect a, yes. a damn good version yes, of it absolutely but all he was doing was was copying jeff buckley yeah uh and and it's good i think the rufus wainwright version is very good uh but he's no jeff buckley like that, that, that jeff buckley's version is the best that there's sometimes th- something happens like a song comes along and somebody sings it a certain way and you just should just take it and lock it and everybody should not be allowed to play that yeah. you know yeah. or sing that perform that and i i think that his version of hallelujah is one of those but anyway that was my uh, we're not talking about hallelujah so that was my six. We'll talk about Hallelujah. We will, though. But we're, we're not talking about it right now. Lover, You Should Have Come Over, Jeff Buckley, off the fantastically amazing album, Grace. God, what a great selection. Thank you, man. I, I'm probably going to listen to that one on the way home. Just so, uh, I can tell you right now I'm going to put Grace on the vinyl when I go home to make dinner tonight. So so of all these songs, you've listened to nine songs so far. That's, that's the one that's I'm going to go home and listen to. Ain't that something? 
Well, unless you change my mind because you still got one to go. So I have one to go. There's no way in the world you're going to play this one. You go. <laughs> there was an album that released in 1996 in the middle of the revolution for 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 our generation of who we are, right? And I had no idea that it even existed uh, until uh, the mid aughts. Until a perfect circle did a cover of right. the song The Nurse Who Loved Me on their second album, uh, 13th Step. And it was this dreamy, ethereal, it was just Maynard and a weird cloudy keyboard where it's like he had huffed ether and singing to it. And I couldn't get enough of listening to that song. I wanted to listen to that song over and over and over. And then when I realized that he didn't write that song, a guy by the name of Ken Andrews wrote that song. Uh, then I go, who the hell is Ken Andrews? And at this time, of course, we had the internet, which, how much damage could you and I have done at, as 16-year-olds with, with the, internet. the internet? Yeah, it would have been amazing. Yeah, so all these little smart-ass kids running around here with nothing to do. <laughs> and I, I will say it until I'm dead. Boredom is a luxury of the youth. If, if you had given me the internet and an unlimited supply of songs and Wikipedia at age of 16... It would have been a disaster. It would have been fantastic. A fantastic disaster. A fantastic disaster. disaster. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you used the word fantastic (laughs) because uh, the album by failure, Fantastic Planet, came out in 1996. And that, I beg all of you who are listening to go out and buy the album Fantastic Planet by failure. It is one of my favorite albums of all time. Really? It is. Uh, Because it's a three-piece playing Mm -hmm. power post-grunge that the sound is that low tone that you love, right, right. that low, low tone. Uh, but it's also this power trio singing about some of the post-grunge stuff that was happening in the, in the 90s. So I managed to miss somehow, just like you did, that album. And I'm sure it was in all the noise of all the other stuff that was coming out. I missed it at the time. Yeah. And I also heard the song for the first time on APC's and had no idea where it came from. And like you, I was like, well, who the hell wrote this thing? You know, yeah. What is this stuff going on? And I had no idea. And you're right. It's it's really good. It's it's gorgeous. And uh, so it, here's the background. Failure was a traveling band. that They toured with Tool in the 90s and okay. opened for them. Uh, a Perfect Circle. Uh, the uh, Billy Howardell is the, he's the genius behind that. He was a roadie for Tool. Right, right. And he would go to Maynard and say, I've got these songs. What do you think about them? And Maynard says, if you put together a, a group, I'll be your singer. And so I'll be damned if he didn't do it. I'll be damned if Billy Howardell didn't do it. And one of the song, one of the groups that they toured with was Failure, uh, this three-piece band that was So there Billy just, got to know them when they were opening for Tool? Yeah. I heard yeah. the song a lot. In and heard like the that. song, and Billy Howardell put together this this arrangement uh, of, of of the nurse who loved me for their for their album that's such a cool story I love yeah. that kind of stuff right like everything just has to just get just right like you know this guy and then you got this guy over here and then they come together and they record the song and there you go it's yeah. perfect yeah perfect. Uh, um, I can give you two more examples of that exact same thing uh, the group Filter right yeah Nine that Inch Nails that was Nine Inch Nails that's right yeah uh, and the other one would be uh, damn it escapes me we'll come back to it it was definitely Nine Inch Nails <laughs> Why, yes, Crap. it was. I'll think about it in just a second. I'm, I'm going to tell you about Nurse Who Loved Me. Let's, let's hear it. Here's the, here's the story with this. It's told from uh, someone who is in a mental hospital. And he is bound in a straitjacket. 
right? And the lyrics go, say hello to the rug's topography. It holds quite a lot of interest with your face down on it. Oh, it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I had no idea. That's yeah. really cool. And, and the second verse goes, say hello to all the apples on the ground. Those are droplets of blood as he's hit the ground gotcha. and his face is splattered. Say hello to the apples on the ground. They were once in your eyes. Oh, wow. But you sneezed them out while sleeping. So, is he in an insane asylum? Or is he in drug rehab? I think this song is about someone who is suffering from heroin addiction and is in a, a rehab hospital and has been bound. And he has fallen on the ground and he is going crazy. But... He has fallen in love with the girl who brings him his his uh, methadone. And so the nurse who loved me, right? Not the, sp- the spy who shagged me. Uh, spy who loved me. Spy who loved me. This well, is those the- are both movies. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the nurse who loved me. The nurse who loved he's me. He's fallen in love with this nurse, and he says, specifically, I'm taking her home with me, right? Because she loves me more than she does these other guys. All these other guys are just other guys, but she loves me. And she's got everything that I need, including pharmacy keys and some pills in a little cup. Wow. That's that's cool. I had no idea. Yeah. And so the song builds to a crescendo and goes crazy. And you can hear that the guitar player, when he's, uh, Ken Andrews is just streaming. You can hear it when we get to it. He's just going crazy. It's like his mind is going crazy. And then it just stops. And he says it again, say hello to the rug's topography. So all this has happened. He's fallen in love with this girl. And the whole time he's been bound on the ground and he can't get up because he has passed out and fallen down on his face. This is the nurse who loved me. That's our first bongo, I think. I think he might be right. Now, talking Heads has to have a bongo at least, right? It's, it's, it's mixed very low in the mix, but... <laughs> the other guys she's nice to but she's fallen in love with me she actually checks like a nurse with them but yeah. with me she's something special and think about the psychosis that it takes for someone who's in a mental institution or going through drug rehab well he's laying on the floor so obviously he's not yeah. doesn't have complete control of his faculties listen to the doubling of the vocals the craziness I mean you, you could almost like this this sounds like 
the mid to late 90s. It does. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it absolutely does. The, the recording and kind of the angstiness and everything is... That's, this is the heartfelt part of this. And the way he phrases pharmacy keys right here, listen. Okay, so check out the, the the guitar solo here is so minimalistic. But again, think about someone who's going crazy, someone who is bound and strapped. Listen to how minimalistic this is. The chaos. Hear that chaos? The guitar in the background is just kind of wailing along. His eyes are going in and out, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's definitely got that kind of disjointed spaciness that you would expect from someone in his condition. Right? Yeah, yeah. Someone who's on methadone. Yeah. Yeah, someone who has no control over their facility. But listen to the craziness here, how it's building up. Like his mind is it is not at all at ease. Man, just that. Maybe he's fighting. You know, maybe he's in the straitjacket. He's fighting to get out, right? Here in the background, wow, 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 wow. wow. It's just like digging in. There's a lot of guitar going on in the background. Yeah, here. I mean, it's, it, it's chaos, right? It's mental chaos. Like scribbles on a wall. Listen to it build. And listen to what happens here at the very end. And we're right back. Full circle. All the way back around. That, my friend, is genius. That yeah, is no, genius writing. It really is, and that's that's a great example of the the emotion and the music matching the lyrical content, yeah. right? And I'd never listened to it that way before because obviously I had no idea what the story was. So, well, and, thanks and, for enlightening me. Yeah, it's so fantastic. But it makes it makes more sense, though. It, it really does. Like the way the song is structured, everything about it, with what is going through his head, is actually is is really brilliant. It's it's much more than just a track from the mid 90s yeah <laughs> well what's interesting about that that album uh it was uh part of a, a very short-lived not quite as short-lived as the um uh, as the swing dance era uh but it was part of <laughs> i don't know if you could hear that through the microphone but jason <laughs> rolled his eyes uh yeah, that was that was cool for five minutes it was a uh, brief moment of uh of 90s rock called space rock that, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, such groups as Space Hog. Space Hog, I yeah. was going to say. Yes, the, yeah. the great Space Hog. Yeah, and so this album was kind of a concept album, uh, at least loosely based on a, uh, a cartoon, a French cartoon from the early 70s called Fantastic Planet. Really? Uh, yeah, that is about this. Um, it, it's almost like a psychedelic version of, um, of Yellow Submarine. You know, really? the Beatles, Beatles yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of like that. It is weird. And it's all in French, of course, you know, if you're going to watch it. You can find it on YouTube, though called fantastic planet and so uh that that's kind of this space rock thing it's on another planet and whatever um and you're right that was a short-lived 
thankfully very genre of rock and roll there for a while. But you're right, there were there was some stuff that came out of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but that song right there, I, every time I hear that song, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. So so tell me the songs we've listened to, your number six to number ten songs. How many times have you heard them? Oh. Do you know? No, I couldn't I, even name it. I have it. no idea. I have no idea how many times I've listened to mine. That actually ended up being kind of a criteria when I was going through this. And and I said this before and I'll say it again. You know, I had a hard time doing 10 songs. Yeah. And then I had a hard time ranking the 10 songs. <laughs> I, I fought against you so hard on that. You know, it's like, it's, just, it's for our people, man. I, I know, but I was yeah. like, I can't do this. It's so hard. But, but all the songs on here are all songs that I have listened to more times than I could possibly count. And, yeah. and that, that's what makes them the favorite songs, right? That's why you keep coming back to them over and over and over again, because there's something about them that just, just resonates with you. That's right. You know, it's just, it's there. And some of the songs in this list obviously resonate with a lot of other people too. You know? sure. I mean, we're not the only ones that like this stuff, but well, and ho- hopefully after, after this, uh, some of the people that hear this, maybe they'll hear these. Maybe they've known these songs, and maybe they'll. Maybe somebody will go pick something up that that we like and uh, give it a shot. And that, yeah. that would be awesome. You know, yeah. you go, everybody on the everybody that we've gone through so far are all bands, uh, bands or artists that everybody should probably have in your collection if you're into music. Other right? than failure, I mean, failure is a little bit out there. Um, but if once you listen to this album, if if you'll give this this album a chance, that, that well, last song. You know, my point is, we we feel like it's worth having in your yeah, collection, absolutely. Right? So, well, I mean, shit, it's number six song. Yeah, like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, uh, those were the number ten through number six songs that we consider our favorite, our top. 10 favorite songs the first half of the top 10 first half of the top 10 thank you so much for listening we hope you uh subscribe to us on uh on all of your favorite podcast mediums whatever that would be uh whether it be uh, spotify apple apple android whatever else if you're a techie then use rss uh we'll come back very shortly with uh with songs one through five as we count this thing down this is our favorite albums i'm michael that's jason thanks so much thanks for hanging with us Thank you.